The Guardian. Questions to the Prime Minister, Richard Burden. One, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Richard Burden. As a uh, constituency, MP, um, constituency MP as well as Prime Minister, my right honourable friend will, I'm sure, be aware of the real problems that people face with rising household bills, including rising fuel bills. And I wonder if he would share my assessment. You shot your fox. Well, can I, can I say, Mr Speaker, that uh, people on this side of the House are aware of the problems that people outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even uh, yeah. honourable ladies and gentlemen yeah. opposite do not. But would my right honourable friend share my assessment that whilst most people understand the roots of the problems they face, are international in nature and therefore the room for any single government the room for any single government is limited let the honourable gentleman speak I'd have also got a better grasp of economics than honourable gentleman whilst they understand that do they also not want to be assured I think the Prime Minister could answer, will be able to answer the question. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we will continue to help hard-pressed families who are facing high fuel bills and high food prices because of what is happening in every country in the world. That's why we're raising the winter allowance for 11 million families from £300 to £400 for over 80s. That's why we're providing help for low-income households with their fuel bills and in recognition of the problems that people face with petrol, we are freezing the duty of petrol for the full year, and we will bring forward further measures to help families in due course. David Carman. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. You don't have to finish a planted question to get a planted answer. <laughs> since, since this is the last Prime Minister's questions before October, can I take this opportunity to clear up some important issues? First... First, this week's relaunch was based around the plan to march knife criminals into accident and emergency departments to meet their victims. Can the Prime Minister tell me who came up with this bright idea? Mr Speaker, everybody must be concerned about the knife crimes. And everybody everybody in this House must want to take all the action that is necessary. That is why we are proposing tougher punishment, tougher enforcement and tougher prevention. And on prevention, I think he would agree that the main thing that was proposed this week is this, that 20,000 families that are in great difficulty will have to sign contracts of good behaviour and that 110 families, 110,000 families, 110,000 families will be subject to parental supervision. For the first time, we are taking all the antisocial behaviour families and trying to take action to deal at root cause with the problem. But why can't the Prime Minister be straight with people and tell us who thought up the idea? The Home Secretary was asked on television, she was asked this, one of the proposals is that people caught carrying knives should be taken to see people in hospital who've been stabbed. Is that correct? And she answered, yes it is. The next day, in the House of Commons, she was asked the same question and she said, no it wasn't. Doesn't the Prime Minister understand he won't get decent policies until he works out what went wrong last time? So let me ask him again, who thought of this bright idea? 
it is, it is right that people should have to face up to the consequences, should have to face up to the consequences of their, of their crimes. But I, I'm saying to him, and I hope there is all-party support, tougher penalties, tougher enforcement with visible policing in our communities and community support officers, tougher, tougher prevention. And the main proposal that we are putting forward is that every problem family where there is action that has to be taken should be subject to parental supervision. Now, I would have thought that that should have the support of all the House. Once again, absolutely no answer. No one owns up in this government. Let me, let me try another issue, see if he can be straight on this one. It's car tax. The Prime Minister told me last month at Prime Minister's Questions that the majority of drivers will benefit from his changes to car tax. It is now clear that was simply wrong. So will he admit he was wrong and apologise? I told him last week in the House and the exchange we had last week, and I told him this, that the majority will be no worse off or better off as a result of what happened. And if I, if I may say so, the, the Conservative Party... The Conservative Party said they would support action against pollution. The leader of the Conservative Party said there will be tough choices to make for the environment and I won't shy away from them for one moment. Now, now Mr Speaker, the principle, is, the principle is that the less polluting cars pay less, the more polluting cars pay more. That's what he said to the House and what he said on 19th March 2007, telling people that you can go green without paying the price that's not leadership, that's not substance, but that's what he's trying to do now. This, this isn't a green tax, this is a stealth tax. I think, I think the Prime Minister's got a nerve to lecture me on consistency. I said he was useless a year ago and I haven't changed my mind since. But, but once again, once again, absolutely no apology... No answer to the question. Let's see if he can give a straight answer on something else. The government announced today that after months of dithering, it is scrapping the 2p rise, tax rise on fuel. Can he tell us whether this decision had anything to do with the Glasgow East by-election? Mr Speaker, it is right to announce, as we have done previously, our decision before the House rises. And let me just deal with this VED point and then excise duty. The former Conservative Environment Spokesman, the Chairman of the Commons Environmental Audit Committee, said if we are going to use bigger differentials in vehicle excise duty, they have got to apply to existing second-hand cars as well. And he said the principle is the right principle. Now, the Conservatives, the Conservatives said, vote blue, go green. They said they were going to take action against pollution. The minute they are challenged on it, they walk away. That's the history of the Conservative Party. The message is, vote blue and get rid of this useless Prime Minister. So, the fuel duty had nothing to do with the by-election, where it's a massive issue, just as presumably the 10p tax U-turn had nothing to do with Crewe and Nantwich, just as the plan to call off the election had nothing to do with the polls. Once again, he cannot be straight with people. Let's try another issue, one that we're debating in the House today. The Prime Minister said that MPs' expenses and allowances needed sorting out by this House. Yet when there was a vote in this House, leading members of his Cabinet voted against reform and he didn't turn up. So can he tell us why wasn't he there? Mr Speaker, it is very unfortunate that the actions of a few people are brought into disrepute the whole of the House of Commons. 
And it's very unfortunate because the vast majority of people who come to this House want only to engage in public service. Now, Mr Speaker, the principles that underline, underline the approach that the Leader of the House is announcing is there's got to be the maximum transparency, there's got to be the maximum external audit, the end of the John Lewis or the so-called John Lewis list, and to refer these matters to the Commons Committee looking at these very issues with a view to having a cap on mortgage interest relief and a cap on other expenses. Now, that's the right way forward, and the right honourable gentleman should admit that there have been problems that he's got to deal with. But the Prime Minister had a chance to vote against the John Lewis list and he funked it. He stayed in the, in the Downing Street bunker. He could have come across and voted for it. Yet again... Ye- no, let the Right Honourable Gentleman speak. Let him speak. Order. Be quiet. Let the Right Honourable Gentleman speak. Right Honourable Gentleman. Yet again, when leadership was required, he wouldn't provide any. I'm beginning to think the only thing in Downing Street with a spine is his book on courage. As Parliament rises, as Parliament rises for the summer, shouldn't the Prime Minister reflect on this? Everyone knows there are tough times ahead. Everyone knows difficult decisions have got to be taken. Isn't the one thing the British people are entitled to is a Prime Minister who can provide leadership and one who can tell us the truth? And that's why, while he continues to duck the difficult decisions, we will take them. Action against terrorism, he ran away. Education to 18, he ran away. GP access, he ran away. Action against pollution, he ran ran away. All these issues, nuclear energy, he runs away. Mr Speaker, during the recess, he needs to address the big substantive issues. This is a Conservative Party that gives no answers, offers no solution, and has no substance. A group of my constituents will be a group of my constituents will be visiting the House today with a petition opposing a proposal associated with the expansion of Heathrow to drive a road through our cemetery where many of our loved ones are buried. Does the, does the Prime Minister appreciate that the government remains now, apart from the most rapacious sections of the aviation industry, virtually isolated in its support for expansion of Heathrow? Could I ask him now to think again, reassess the environmental, social and economic consequences of a third runway at Heathrow? This will not be interpreted as running away. This will be interpreted as being on the side of our community. Mr Speaker, it is right to listen to communities when these big decisions are made, and it is right to take into account what local people are saying on these matters. But this is also a big strategic decision for the country. And we cannot afford to duck a decision about the future of airports for many years ahead. And that's why it's right in principle to go ahead with airport expansion. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister promised to abolish boom and bust. But now we've got both. Inflation's booming, the economy's bust. Energy Energy prices are rocketing, house prices are collapsing, thousands of jobs are on the line and food prices just go up and up every week. When will the Prime Minister accept that a winter of discontent is just around the corner? Mr Speaker, I don't know if he's seen the employment figures today, but employment in this country is at its highest level ever. There are 61,000 more jobs in the economy during the last three months. And while, yes, there are problems, 
We have inflation lower than the rest of Europe and lower than America. We are taking action to help people through these difficult circumstances, which the previous Conservative Government never did when there were problems. And at the same time, we are creating more jobs in this economy, and we have the flexibility to enable us to withstand events. I would have hoped he would see that the economy see the economy in its proper context. He's so out of touch, he doesn't understand the scale of the problem. Five and a half million British families in fuel poverty, and all he can squeeze out of the energy companies is 26 pence per week for each of those families. 1.7 million people on low incomes still waiting for a decent home, and his only feeble response is to buy up fewer than 1,500 empty properties. He's tinkering at the edges, obsessed with details. So will he take a summer break, take a step back, see the big picture, and come up with real answers to prevent a winter of misery for millions of British families? The big picture is taking action to help hard-pressed families. When he talks about fuel poverty, he omits the winter allowance paid to 11 million pensioners in this country and costing over £2 billion. When he talks about the utility companies, he's admitting to tell us that it is £100 million to help low-income families. And he fails to mention that 22 million families will receive £120 in a tax cut over the next few months. Now, all these things are necessary to help people through difficult times. But I think people would prefer our solutions to the problem than his. Since uh, most European governments uh, are, now seeking, are now seeking joint action, uh, both to stop oil speculation, helping to drive up petrol prices and heating costs, and also uh, to stop vast city bonuses driving unregulated financial markets, is there any reason why our government should not support both such joint actions from Europe? Mr Speaker, we are, as I told the House last week, looking at this whole question of speculation in the oil market. But he has to face up to one fundamental fact that is true, and that is demand for oil, both now and in the medium term, exceeds supply. So it is a reasonable expectation that there will be more oil wanted in the years to come, and that is the main factor that's been driving the price up. Now, what we've got to do about this, as he would agree, is lower our dependence upon oil. That's why we've made the big decision on nuclear power opposed by the opposition. That's why we also believe in renewables, including wind power, opposed often by the opposition. That's why we want to make cars more efficient, and that's why we have incentives for fuel-efficient cars opposed by the opposition. Now, these are the measures that we can take and will take, and we will take them with our European partners. Again, the cooperation opposed by the opposition. This week, the government finally acknowledged major affordability gaps in the delivery of the Defence Training Review Programme. Given the worsening of public finances, would the Prime Minister give an undertaking to have a review of this undeliverable and unaffordable project and for once admit he's got it wrong? Our defence budget is rising every year and it will continue to rise and we will not leave inadequate the training of our defence forces. And I have to say to him, we now have the second biggest defence budget in the world. And the reason is we want to see, we want to see, as a percentage, as a percentage of national income, we want to see, we want to see, we want to see our troops properly staffed and properly equipped. And that is what we will continue to do. And that is why we continue to spend money not just on defence, 
but we spend money in addition on all the urgent operational requirements for the Army, Navy and Air Force. John Mann. I'm sure the Prime Minister will want to join me in congratulating and perhaps even visiting the Larwood Surgery, which last week won a top NHS award for drug treatment. As this system that they use is the same <coughs> GP-led model that's been introduced successfully by the Social Democrats in Sweden, by the Socialists in France and by Labour in New South Wales. Isn't it time that we considered introducing this model across the whole of the United Kingdom? Mr Speaker, the, the Government has funded a number of initiatives on drugs and one of them is to support the rising number of GPs being able to help uh, in drug treatment. And there's about 2,000 healthcare professionals that have undertaken the Royal College of uh, GPs primary care certificate course that deals with this issue of drugs. So we will learn from what's happening in Sweden. We will continue to increase the number of people who are receiving drug treatment. And I have to say to the House that even in difficult times, the numbers of drug misusers accessing treatment has doubled to nearly 200,000 people being helped. Elfenberg. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister believe that his party's wilting membership in Wales and my party's increasing membership in Wales is due to the coalition between Plaid Cymru and Labour in the National Assembly or is it due to his leadership here in Westminster? Mr Speaker, the reason that there are 100,000 more jobs in Wales is due to a Labour government and Labour members of the Welsh Assembly. The reason that more children have been taken out of poverty in Wales is due to a Labour government and Labour members of the Welsh Assembly. And the reason that there are more public services in Wales is due to the funding provided by a Labour government from here. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that uh, people that can't afford to buy houses uh, should not pay the price for the current economic uh, 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 turmoil and uh, the tightening up of credit in their housing market. But uh, the announcement that he's made today to assist uh, hard-pressed families to get onto the housing ladder is very welcome. Uh, but does he agree with me that we have to encourage local authorities and housing associations to do more to make affordable houses available to rent? Yeah. Mr Speaker, we are, we are using £200 million of public funds to buy up unsold houses in the housing market and that will be to help people uh, rent their homes, particularly people who cannot on the existing housing waiting list get their homes. We are also announcing today that five local authorities throughout the country will be able to set up housing companies to build houses again for the first time and we will support these councils in their efforts to make available more stock for renting. And we are also announcing today on the rent to home buy scheme that if people cannot afford to buy the house initially under the shared equity proposals, they will be able to start by renting. And that is another move forward to help the rented sector in Britain. Mark Lancaster. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With the current focus on knife crime, it's easy to forget that there are over 5,000 violent assaults each year using broken glass. One positive step would be to support the campaign led by my constituent, Marjorie Golding, to encourage the change of glass to polycarbonate in late-night clubs and bars. So will the Prime Minister be decisive and show some leadership and support this campaign, or does he need some more time to ponder? Well, he rightly raises the question of the the injuries caused by glass. I will look at what he says, and I will come back to him on the matter. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware of the importance of volunteers and voluntary sector within our own communities. 
amply demonstrated by the Sunlight Development Trust in my own constituency, which is leading in social enterprise work and campaigns locally. But can I tell him that there is concern out there that continued central government support for the third sector must continue. So what steps will he take to ensure that, that they are reassured in terms of the commitment of this government to their neighbourhood campaigning and the delivery of complementary services in the neighbourhoods? By, by increasing the grants that we are making available for grassroots community action, £130 million is being provided directly to small community groups and we are establishing a £70 million community builder schemes to help community-led organisations become more sustainable. At the same time, we're helping youth volunteering, the V organisation, by giving more money to that organisation to encourage young people to get a step on the ladder to community action. And I would just remind them that we have strengthened gift aid, which gives millions of pounds to charities by virtue of tax relief. But we will not see the charitable sector, as some members of the opposite party do, as a cut price alternative to public services. We will, we will reinforce the work of the voluntary sector in partnership with government. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister think that the price of petrol and diesel is too high or too low? It's too high, and that's why I'm trying to get the oil price down. And that's, why, that's, why I went to, that's why I went to Jeddah, so that we can have a dialogue between producers and consumers. That's why I'm meeting the Nigerian President this afternoon, because there's a million and a half barrels of oil could be produced from Nigeria, but as a result of violence, is not being produced. That's why we met the North Sea oil producers a few weeks ago to talk about how they could develop fields in the North Sea that are either small fields or small fields that are difficult to get at. And it's precisely for these reasons that we're taking the action to reduce our dependence on oil overall. It's just unfortunate the opposition won't support these actions. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The announcement last Friday that the Government and the Association of British Insurers um, that flood insurance would be widely available long term will be very much welcomed by in constituencies like mine bordering the Severn where people are naturally concerned about the effects of climate change. But can the Prime Minister um, reassure my constituents that developing an adequately funded long-term flood defence strategy will remain the priority? Yeah. And we will be spending £800 million on the flood defence strategy uh, by 2011, uh, raising the money from £400 million a few years ago to £600 million now uh, to £800 million over the next uh, period of time. Last week we also finalised the agreement that she mentions with the insurance companies, and it's because we're investing in flood defences that they were prepared to say that insurance against floods will be widely available for homes and small businesses, and that fear that people have had have been removed. But she, my honourable friend is absolutely right, and she has campaigned on this. We must make the investment in flood protection for the future. King Clark. As the budget continues to fall apart and the Chancellor has had to abandon yet another badly targeted tax, has the Government yet decided how the unfortunate taxpayer is eventually going to have to pay for the mess he's made of the public finances? Mr Speaker, I, I remember when we inherited debt at 44% of national income and reduced it to 38%. I remember when we inherited rising inflation and brought it down. I also remember we inherited from the government large numbers of people unemployed and have made them employed. And when will he forget the fact that there are three million people now in work as a result of a Labour government? And as for taxation, 22 million people will receive £120 as a result of decisions that we've made. Yeah. 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 Peter Salisbury. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister will be aware that following the publication of the Governance of Britain White Paper, the Modernisation Committee has heard overwhelming evidence confirming the urgent need for effective parliamentary scrutiny of regional development agencies and other key regional bodies. Will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the Modernisation Committee's report and its recommendations, both to fill the accountability gap at a regional level and for us as members to be able to question regional ministers? Mr Speaker, we spend about £2.3 billion through our regional offices and the regional development agencies in each of the regions of England. It is right that there be proper accountability of that. That is why we are proposing the regional select committees. I believe that the Modernisation Committee supports that. I hope there will be a welcome from all sides of the House. It will enable regional members to examine and hold accountable the offices that exist in the regions. George Swinson. Increasing type of cancer in this country is skin cancer, with more than 80,000 new cases each year. As the Prime Minister heads to Suffolk for his bucket and spade holiday, I'm sure he will be stocking up on sun cream. So, how can his government justify charging VAT on this essential health protection item? Mr. Speaker, this is an issue that is looked at from uh, time to time, but I do say to the most, the more important thing we're doing is to invest 15 billion over the next 10 years in trying to find cures to the diseases that includes cancer and skin cancer and the action of the National Health Service in making it possible making it possible for people to be seen quickly when they are diagnosed as having cancer means that within 2 weeks within 2 weeks 99% of people suspected of cancer are seen now these are the actions that we can take and actions that will get rid of skin cancer in the long run Sally Keeble. much Mr Speaker following the very welcome uh, publication this week by the Sentencing Guidelines Council um, of the sentencing of people convicted of causing death by careless driving. Will my right honourable friend make sure that that section of the Road Safety Act on causing death by careless driving is very quickly enacted and tough guidance is sent out to the courts so that people who lose their loved ones as a result of accidents caused by careless driving know that justice will be done? It is is a tragedy to to meet uh, those people who have uh, lost their loved ones as a result of uh, careless uh, driving, innocent people who suffer as a result of someone else's failure. That's why we will implement these guidelines, and that's why my uh, right honourable friend, uh, the Minister for Justice, is going ahead immediately with these proposals. Norman Baker. Uh, the Prime Minister may have seen in today's press the admission from the airline BMI that it intends to fly empty plane to Sorton in order to keep its slots open, and that Flybe, for the same reason, as even hiring actors to fly between Norwich and Dublin to boost passenger numbers. <laughs> given, given the massive carbon emissions for which aviation is... Given the massive carbon emissions for which aviation is responsible, isn't this an environmental disgrace? And will the Prime Minister take action to prevent these ghost flights, or will he cave into the aviation industry as usual? It, it, it would be clearly unacceptable. It would be clearly unacceptable if airlines flew without any passengers whatsoever, simply to maintain the slots. We shall look at the matter that he raises. We will talk to the airlines, and I will write them in due course. Evening, Billy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's now a year since the introduction of legislation creating smoke-free workplaces and public places. Can my right honourable friend tell me what assessment he's made, first of all, of the level of compliance with this legislation, uh, secondly, the public health benefits, and thirdly, what further measures he thinks can be taken to further reduce smoking in this country? 
the evidence is uh, very interesting that nearly a quarter of a million people have quit smoking with the help of the smoking services between April and December 2007. This is a 22% increase in the number of people who have quit smoking, and it must be directly related uh, to the ban on smoking in public places. We are also investing a great deal more uh, in uh, research in this matter, uh, but Cancer Research UK estimates that 40,000 lives will be saved over the next 10 years, 40,000, as a result of this smoke-free legislation. And I believe there is increasing public support for the action that was taken. On Friday, staff in the Maritime Coast Guard Agency will start a 48-hour strike. In the previous 24-hour strikes, the contingency cover that was put in place was barely adequate. It will not be sufficient to cover a 48-hour strike, and as a consequence, lives are going to be put at risk. Will the Prime Minister intervene to solve this dispute? Pay our Coast Guards a decent wage, or is he just going to sit in his hands until lives are lost? Mr Speaker, I will certainly look at the issue of uh, contingency cover and and see what uh, is uh, being provided in the event of this dispute. I would even now call on those people who are engaged in uh, planning this dispute uh, to cease this action. I think it's very important it's very important that employers and employees get together to bring a solution to these disputes. I have to tell them that one and a half million workers in the public sector have already signed three years or are now subject to three-year pay agreements. That includes nurses, it includes teachers, it includes uh, those people who are working in the Department of Work and Pension, it includes those people in the revenue. It has never been the case before that we've had three-year agreements during difficult times such as this, and I believe that there should be support for other groups of workers in the public sector signing up to long-term pay agreements. David Taylor. During his uh, richly deserved uh, holiday in Southwold, will the Prime Minister reflect on present government proposals which would uh, evict the parents from local authority accommodation where uh, the children have uh, caused problems in their particular vicinity. Those of us that are brought up on local authority states believe that there's a risk that this might demonise these areas and our own experience as MPs tells us that uh, the problems with young people as often originate with uh, parents who live in owner-occupied accommodation. What's he going to do in those circumstances? I've looked at the work of the Family Intervention Partnerships that he's talking about. I've been to see at first hand how families have been brought round from having children that were engaged in vandalism and antisocial behaviour uh, to living decent and, and normal lives as a result of changing their ways. The whole point of the Family Intervention Partnership is that families sign a contract that they will change their ways in return for 24-hour help for doing better. Now, that is the proper way forward to deal with the worst problems of antisocial behaviour, and I would have thought there would be massive support in the country when we extend that to 20,000 families who are going to be helped as a result of these things. In the end, if we're going to tackle crime, we need tougher punishments, we need better enforcement, but we also need action on prevention. And it is action on prevention that is going to be stepped up over the next few years so that every child is given opportunity, but every child is expected uh, to behave properly in our communities. For more discussion and analysis, download Guardian Daily. That's The Guardian's news podcast, available first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.